Okay, so this is probably going to be the final part of The Frog King. So, The Frog King, part four. I woke a few hours later, too hot, stifling in the bedclothes. I switched on the lamp beside the bed. R slept so deeply, I never had to worry about waking him on nights I couldn't sleep, when I spent hours beside him reading or writing. But this time, he did wake, or half-wake. And as I lay, with a book propped on my stomach, he turned toward me and linked his arm through mine before settling back into sleep, his face pressed against my shoulder. I looked at him for a long moment before going back to my book. They could make a whole life, I thought, surprised to think it. These moments that filled me up with sweetness, that had changed the texture of existence for me. I had never thought anything like it before. I wanted to make him laugh at first. I meant it almost as a joke. We needed to laugh. It had been hard to return to Sofia after our days in Italy. More snow had fallen, but by the time we arrived, the city had turned grey again. The holidays were over. The cars kicked black sludge from their tyres. And now it was his last night in my apartment. In the morning, he would gather his things and go back to Studensky Grad. His friends would arrive in the afternoon. We would return to our uncertain arrangements, emails and dates that he might break at the last minute or without any notice at all. Those were the conditions. They were non-negotiable. He hated it, he said. He didn't want to go back to hiding. And throughout the day, his dread had increased and darkened, colouring everything, until by night-time he could barely speak. He had folded in on himself as he did sometimes. It was hard for me to reach him, to have any effect on him at all. We watched a movie sitting side by side on the couch. I don't remember what it was, something light-hearted, romantic, though he hardly laughed. We never really watched movies together. It was always a pretense. We would kiss and touch each other and then forget the movie, but now it was all I could do to get him to kiss me back. Sorry, I'm just going to pause it right there. That's such a mood. <laughs> when have we ever watched a whole movie from start to finish? Finally, he let me pull him up from the couch. I folded the computer shut and led him, half-resisting, to the bedroom. He resisted less there, standing beside the bed. He opened his mouth to me. He let me draw him close and press my pelvis against his. He raised his arms for me to pull his shirt up and off, and I felt the mood shifting already. It lightened as his passivity became a game almost. His passivity in my insistence as I struggled with the buckle of his belt, the button on his jeans. I could feel him almost smile as I kissed him as he answered me back more in his kisses, his tongue pressing against mine. Oh my god, I can't believe I'm reading fan fiction. <laughs> I pushed his jeans and underwear down, breaking our kiss to kneel and hold them at his ankles while he lifted his legs free. He moved to kiss me again, but I leaned away, then shoved him back, not hard. He could have resisted, but he didn't. He fell backward onto the bed. Onto our bed, I thought which was what it had become in those days. Not a lonely place, but a place that belonged to both of us. A loving place. It was something I could think to myself, but not say out loud. I took off my own clothes quickly and then launched myself on top of him, which made him flinch and laugh, just once, and as if against his will. I caught myself with my hands, and when he reached out his own hands, bracing them against my chest, I grabbed them one by one at the wrist and pinned them above his head. Ooh. <laughs> He made a noise at this, a little growl, 
interested in interrogative as I ground against him. I lowered my face but dodged his kiss again, teasing him, and instead kissed his collarbone, first one side, then the other, and then the inside of his arm, just below the elbow, where I knew he was ticklish. He was more aroused now. He pressed his hips up against mine, but I lifted myself off him, beyond his reach. He moaned in frustration. He tried to pull his hands free, but I held them firm. Porta tebem, I said to him, and then I did kiss him. I put my tongue in his mouth and he sucked hard at it, tasting me, but tasting himself too. That was what he loved, the taste of himself in my mouth. I broke off the kiss and dipped my head to his chest, kissing first one nipple and then the other, which he didn't really like. He tolerated it. And then, to go further, I had to let go of his wrists, which didn't matter. He kept them obediently above his head. I kissed his ribs, then his stomach, always one side, then the other, keeping a symmetrical pattern, keeping it at his pelvis, too, pressing my lips to his right hip and his left, moving quickly. He made a noise of complaint, but kept his arms where I had left them, still playing our game. He jerked a little when I kissed the inside of his thighs. He was sensitive there, too, but he didn't try to stop me. He was being good. He let me do what I wanted. But I wasn't sure what I wanted, or what I had wanted had changed. I had thought I wanted to make him laugh, that after that I wanted sex. But I didn't want sex, I realised. Or not only sex. I had let my knees drop off the end of the bed as I moved lower. Soon I was kneeling on the floor at the foot of the bed. I didn't want to make him laugh anymore. I didn't know what I wanted him to feel. I kissed his ankles at three points, moving from the outside in, from right to left on his right leg, from left to right on his left, which would remain my pattern. Scarps, R said, a question in the way he said it. His name for me, or our name for each other, a play on the Bulgarian endearment. But I didn't answer. I made another band of these kisses, slightly higher than the first, and then another. I would cover him in kisses, that's what I wanted to do. And I would do it even though I could feel R's impatience. Even as he again said, scups, and then, don't be cheesy, which was his warning against too much affection, against my surfeit of feeling. I ignored it, moving up another inch. It would take a long time, I realised. When you imagine something like that, you don't think about how long it will take, how large a body is, how small a pair of lips. But I would do it, I decided. A kind of unhurriedness opened up in me, a weird, wide patience I sank into. I strung kisses across him, his calves and knees, his thighs, the flesh firm in the centre and giving at the sides. They were places I had never touched before, some of them, and this gave gravity to the moment, more gravity. I whispered, I love you, as I kissed him. Then two kisses later I whispered it again, which became a new pattern, to whisper it again and again. Usually words wear out the more you use them. They become featureless, rote. And more than any others, this is true of the words I repeated to R. Even in our relationship that was still so new, they had lost most of their flavour. I remembered the fear I had felt the first time I spoke them to him, weeks before, when they had all their force. I had been terrified, really. Not so much that they wouldn't be answered. They weren't, it would be days before he repeated them as that they would scare him away, that he would startle like the wild thing I sometimes felt he was. 
but now we said them often, when we left each other and were reunited, even if it was only a room we left, only minutes we were separated. But repeating the words now didn't dull them. It called them to attention somehow, to service. It restored them so that they became difficult to say again. I found myself almost unable to speak as I whispered into R's silence, kissing the soft flesh of his stomach, the firmer flesh over his ribs, his nipples, his collarbone, the taut skin at his windpipe. His arms were still raised, but he had folded them at the elbow, crossing his forearms over his face. I kissed the exposed undersides of his arms, and then, I was kneeling now, my knees on either side of him, I took his arms in my hands and moved them away from his face. He hadn't uttered a sound in all that time, the fifteen or twenty minutes it had taken me to make my way up his body, not since the interrogative of my name, the admonition I ignored. There hadn't been any change in his breath, or none I had noticed, and so I was surprised to see the tears on his face, the two lines that fell towards his ears. He hadn't wiped them away. He didn't try to hide them when I moved his arm, or tried only by turning his face slightly, as if he didn't want to meet my gaze. Though his eyes were shut, there was no gaze to meet. I paused a moment, wanting to speak, to ask him what they were for, his tears, but I knew what they were for, and so I hung over him for a moment before I continued kissing him, the line of his jaw, his chin, his cheek and lips, which didn't answer mine, which suffered themselves to be kissed, his ears, the tracks of his tears, his eyes, I love you, I whispered again and again to him. And then, when I had laid the last line across his forehead, a garland, I thought, I had garlanded him. You are the most beautiful, I said to him. You are my beautiful boy. And he reached his arms up and pulled me down on top of him, clutching me tightly. You are, he whispered to me. You are, you are. They had used some kind of accelerant, they must have, so that when the three children touched their torches to it, angling their bodies away, keeping the greatest distance between themselves and the fire, the flames leaped up the wood, from the base to the ridiculous crown the whole frog blazed up. And with it there was a huge explosion of sound, air horns and rattlers and little handheld bells children jingled, and above them all, human voices, the crowd cheering both the fire and the new year, which had just struck. There were hundreds of people in the square, pressed tight near the wooden barricades that held them back from the fire, but thinner near the edges where we were. There was space here for people to toast one another, with wine in plastic cups or little glass bottles like those R had bought for us, Prosecco with a twist-off cap. After we drank, I leaned forward towards him and cupped his face in my palm when we kissed. I moved my mouth in a way he liked, kissing first his upper lip and then his lower before I drew away, hanging my arm around his shoulder. And then, as the statue burned, it was huge, it would take a long time to burn. There was another sound, a salute of drums and a burst of guitars, and then the far corner of the square lit up with floodlights, and there was a new shout from the crowd as it shifted toward the platform where the band had begun to play. Four skinny boys bent over their instruments. There was a keyboard, as well as the guitars and drums. It was an American sound, I thought, which contrasted with the stone buildings around us, with the pagan fire. R and I didn't move as the crowd thinned further. We wouldn't stay. It was cold and the band wasn't very good, 
We would watch the fire a little longer and then go back to the hotel. R pulled away from me suddenly and reached into his coat pocket, taking from it the packet of raisins he had bought earlier with the wine. I almost forgot, he said. It's almost too late. He handed me his bottle and took off one of his mittens so that he could open the packet. Give me your hand, he said. So I put the bottles on the ground and held it out to him, taking my glove off as he asked, and he counted twelve raisins, placing them in my palm in a single line from my wrist to the tip of my third finger, and then counting another twelve for himself. It was the Portuguese tradition, he had told me, a raisin for each month of the year that had passed, a wish for each month of the year to come. He looked at me and smiled. Scups, he said. Feliz año. And we kissed again. He ate his all at once, tossing them in his mouth and putting his mitten back on before he leaned down for his bottle and turned to watch the fire. But I didn't watch the fire. I kept my eyes on him, though it was cold and I wanted to be back in the hotel with him in the warmth of our bed. I took my time. I put the raisins in my mouth, one by one, thinking a wish for each, though all my wishes were the same wish. So that's the end of The Frog King by Garth Greenwell in The New Yorker. Um, I have to say I did redact a few bits which were just very male, (laughs) to put it very euphemistically. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I really liked that. That was very sweet. It was very hashtag relatable, I felt. Um, I hope you liked it too. So yeah. Um, Good night, baby. Sleep well. Think of me kissing your entire body and saying I love you. Because I do.